You live in the real world, right? Exactly. And there, I look at all the candidates, and you can go back to the beginning when there were however many Republican uh, candidates that were running up on that Republican debate stage. How many of those, was there one that we would agree with 100%? There isn't. I mean, it wouldn't matter who AFP Action at the end of the day endorsed. That's right. Th there would have been policy disagreements, that's correct? Right. That's right. And that's the beauty of our democracy, right? I think what we try to do and what frankly we hear from the American people is that disagreements are okay, but let's disagree without being disagreeable about it. Right. And let's actually have a robust policy debate and discussion as opposed to the name calling and the attacks. And that's the kind of more productive public policy place that we're trying to get to. It doesn't have to be uniform agreement. We actually believe that a diversity of opinions actually makes us stronger yeah. as a country. Yeah. So let's lean into that, but let's work together. Americans are capable of achieving extraordinary things when they have the freedom and opportunity to do so. This is American Potential, and here's your host, Jeff Crank. Hey, welcome to another episode of American Potential. You know, we're less than a year away from electing a new president of the United States and deciding which direction this country will go. And as 60% of Americans are living paycheck to paycheck because of inflation due to the out of control spending at the federal level, the economy is becoming a big issue for voters, and it should be. Because this is such a critical time for America, it's important to talk to voters and see which candidate they think would be best to change the trajectory of the country. Now, Americans for Prosperity Action has been involved in primary races at the state and federal levels before, many times before. And they've seen how electing policy champions helps get good policies passed to expand freedom and opportunity. And this year, using data it acquired from Americans for Prosperity about voters' policy and candidate preferences, Americans for Prosperity and Americans for Prosperity Action decided to take on the huge task of getting involved in the presidential primary by endorsing a candidate. I want to welcome today's guest, Emily Seidel. She's the Senior Advisor to Americans for Prosperity Action, and we're going to talk about their decision to get involved in the presidential primary. Emily, thanks for being with us. Thanks for having me back, Jeff. Yeah, so first time, it took a long time to get you on. It was 110 episodes in. And now it's a bridesmaid, never a bride. I was waiting for a long time. <laughs> I know. You really stunned me with that answer. You're like, well, I wasn't asked. Like, okay, that's true. Well, we asked you back. It's been 10 or 12 episodes since Thank we've you. had you on. Appreciate it. Um, really an important moment uh, in, in our nation's history, right? And AFP and, and Americans for Prosperity Action issued a joint memo that we're going to do something that they, they, they'd never been done before and get involved in a presidential primary. Why? What, what was the behind the decision to do that? Because we need better leaders in our country to solve some of the biggest challenges that we're facing. I mean, if you look back the last couple of election cycles, Republicans have been losing races that they could have otherwise won because they were nominating candidates that the American voters were rejecting. And that was enabling the Democrats to move towards a much more radical policy platform because they could. And, and so you look at the leadership that we were electing then, we were electing more leaders that had really bad policy ideas. And it starts with 
the problem that we are nominating bad candidates in the first place. And so we said, look, if we want to have better leaders in our country to tackle the biggest issues that are facing our nation, we need to nominate better candidates for House races, for Senate races, for governor's races, for state legislative races, and for president of the United States. So in, in that memo, you talked about broken politics and the broken politics in America. What do you mean by broken politics? Well, uh, I mean, it means a lot of things, to be totally honest. I think we've been in a downward spiral for politics in our country for the past several cycles. But in particular, what I'm talking about is is the incentives in this country that are driving politics to, to bad ends. Um, so look, look at it this way. At Americans for Prosperity, when we work on public policy, we want to make good policy, good politics. We also want to make bad policy, bad politics. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, right now, our broken politics means that oftentimes bad policy is actually good politics. And that's why you have people espousing ideas that would lead our country in the wrong idea and getting rewarded for it. And that's the cycle, that downward spiral that we need to break. Give me an example of that. Like, are there some policy examples you can, you yeah, can give me? Yeah. So, I mean, I've been in Washington, D.C. since 1999. Uh, and this entire time that I've been here, people have been talking about the national debt and how we've got to do something about it. But then every time that people get in office, the incentives are actually to spend more, to bring more uh, bacon home to their constituents. And so you've got a perverse incentive there on one of the biggest issues that we face as a country. I think immigration and border security is another great example. So we know, I mean, you've been to the border. We know that you can't solve the crisis at the border with just a wall. It's more complex than that. And that the broken immigration system is actually what's contributing to the problems that we see at the border. So we know we need we need um, a a solution for both border security and to fix our broken immigration system if we're going to solve this existential crisis that we have as a country right now. Politicians on both sides of the aisle have been using elements of that problem as a political weapon against their enemies. Mm -hmm. And their incentive is to keep that problem alive so that they can keep on using it as a political weapon and win elections instead of actually solving the problem. Yeah, I think the border uh, is a perfect example of the broken politics of it. And as you mentioned, both sides kind of use it to their advantage. Yeah. And who suffers? The American people suffer with a broken border. That's exactly right. Yeah. By the way, did you know that? I think I told you, your episode is the most watched and listened to episode of American Potential. Do you know how many people have watched that episode now? I do not, but I have a feeling you're going to tell me. Almost a million. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. That's how interesting you are, Emily. Uh, Isn't that amazing? I I think what actually drove a lot of that is your story about wanting to get involved and why you made the change from being, you know, Hill staff to I want to do grassroots because grassroots is what really changes things. Yeah, I, yeah almost a million people. Wow. That's pretty incredible, huh? That's really exciting. I'm, I'm humbled. <laughs> <laughs> Let's talk about, I guess we just need to have you on more so the ratings keep going up. Well, that you keep asking. Good. I'm going to keep showing up. <laughs> okay. Um, Americans for Prosperity Action has gotten involved in lots of primaries Mm -hmm. the last couple of cycles in some Senate races, Mm -hmm. some House races and stuff. Mm -hmm. Why do you think that Americans for Prosperity Action can make a difference in this presidential race? Well, a couple of things. First, 
when we've gotten engaged in primaries, we've gone on to win general elections 82% of the time, including in the 2022 midterms, which was a really tough election cycle, right? Where we didn't get involved in primaries, we only won 64% of those general elections. So just from a, 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 again, the goal being to get better leaders elected ultimately, so that we can tackle the tough problems in our country, getting involved in primaries is clearly just numerically a more effective way to elect better leaders overall. But one of the reasons why we believe that we can be effective is because we bring this enormous grassroots force, this army to bear, to have conversations one-on-one -on -one with voters across the country and listen to them, understand what matters to them, and then help them to see those values, those, those priorities reflected in the best candidates who can actually take our country forward and, and get us back to a place that is a much more productive policymaking place. And so that's what we've been doing um, year in and year out with election cycles. Over the past several cycles, we've seen that be very, very effective. We've also tested it. So we know that the most effective way to persuade someone and make sure that they turn out to vote, make sure that their voice is heard, is to talk to them face to face, like you and I mm -hmm. are doing right now. If we can't get on somebody's doorstep, the next best way to reach that person is to have a one-on-one -on -one conversation with them on the phone. And then make sure that we reinforce those messages and stay in touch with them through digital ads and, and mail pieces. This is something that only Americans for Prosperity Action can do in election cycles from day one. We don't have to build it, it's already there. We talk, you talk about changing the trajectory of the country and clearly the trajectory of the country is not good right now. Mm -hmm. We see inflation, we see what it does to families. Um, and it's, you know, it's, it's lower income, middle income people who bear the burden, the biggest burden of that, right? If you're a, a millionaire, multimillionaire, inflation bites, it stings a little bit, yeah. but it isn't life changing. Yeah. It is life changing to a single mom. Mm -hmm. And uh, Americans are frustrated by that. And I think they're also frustrated by that broken system, the broken politics of mm -hmm. it. Uh, I think it is critical. Talk about how critical it is for America that we get, we, we change course on these bad policies, these bad government policies that are driving inflation, driving um, you know the cost of goods and services up and causing us to have massive debt like we've never seen before. Yeah, well, look, if you come out and you knock doors with any one of our grassroots teams across the country, there's a greater than 50% chance that the issue that you're gonna hear about from the voter behind that door is the economy and inflation. You are absolutely right, it is hurting everybody. And um, we've got to do something about it because it's for the first time in history, people believe that future generations are going to be worse off than they are because of this trajectory that we're on with government spending, debt, taxes, all of these things that are making it harder for people to achieve the American dream. And once we lose that, what do, I mean, that's what our country is founded on. We've yeah. got, we, so we've got to change this trajectory. Yeah. When a person goes in for a job interview, uh, they put their best foot forward, right? They usually wear their nicest outfit and, mm -hmm. and all of that. Political parties and, 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 and movements should do the same thing, right? Shouldn't we put our best candidate forward? And talk to that a little bit. Like that's what I think some people who maybe don't agree with us politically have, have done a pretty good job of in the past is really focusing on quality candidates and making mm -hmm. sure that those candidates 
uh, are principled first and foremost, mm -hmm. but you can also be principled and be a good candidate yep. or you can be principled and be a bad candidate, yep. right? Yep. So, I mean, one of the things that I think has been really interesting over the past couple of cycles is talking to voters heading into a November general election. When too often I've heard from fellow Americans that they don't they're not really excited to vote for either candidate. And a big part of that is because they might see some good policies reflected in one candidate or the other, but they're just not they're, they're just not excited about them being a, a significant leader and their representative at whatever level of government. And so one of the things that we've been talking to people about at this stage of the game is get involved in primaries because you don't have to wait to the November elections and then right. have to you know, sort of feel like you're holding your nose voting for one of the candidates that's on the ballot. Have your voice heard earlier so that you can support somebody in a primary who is that that best foot forward for for whatever office we're talking about. And again, we're we're doing this from the top of the ticket all the way to the bottom in this election cycle for the first time ever. Well, and if more people get involved in the primary, that I mean, it's really critical and important that voters get out and vote in their primary. That's Absolutely. where you choose the candidates before it's a binary choice, right? That's, that's, that's right. And often it's where the actual election is decided, you know, for quote unquote safe seats that are going to elect only one person from a party. Um, the primary is when you basically choose who your elected representative is going to be to Congress. Yeah. So you've got to get engaged. So from February until a few weeks ago, Americans for Prosperity actually knocked on about six million doors, talked yeah. to six million voters. Yeah. What did they learn in those conversations? What did they what did they find out at those doors? Well, from an issues perspective, I already mentioned the economy and inflation as as the number one issue. We've never seen one issue be so overwhelming for people. So that's one thing. The next is that they know they cannot afford, literally cannot afford four more years of the big government policies of the Biden-Harris administration. But the other thing that we learned from folks is that they are really open and, and, and looking for a new leader for the future of our country. Um, they've recognized that we've been in this downward spiral that I mentioned at, at the beginning of, of our conversation. And they're looking for somebody who's actually going to kind of turn the page on the, the past political era and bring us to a, a better political environment and a better policymaking environment. Yeah. So Americans for Prosperity Action looked at the data that Americans for Prosperity gathered at the doors mm -hmm. talking to those voters. Uh, I'm sure made some other calculations and, and considerations on policy and other things. Mm -hmm and then decided to endorse Nikki Haley That's right. for, for president. So Americans for Prosperity Action endorsed Nikki Haley. Lift, lift the curtain up a little bit behind that decision. Why did they decide Nikki Haley would be the best person to lead this country forward? Well, back at the beginning of this year, when we embarked on this strategy in the first place, we said we would endorse somebody who could do two things, who could lead the country forward, turn the page on the past, and second, somebody who could win. Because to the point that you made earlier, there are plenty of people who run for office who could be good leaders, but they're never going to actually get into office because they're not going to be the good, the kind of candidate that can actually win in an election. So I think in the Republican presidential primary this year, we've seen a number of people put their hat into the ring who could lead the country forward, who would be strong policymakers and, and, and leaders in the White House if they could get there. What really it came down to as a result of, of multiple people clearing that bar was who had the best chance to win 
both the primary and the general election. And that was the, the analysis that we finished about two weeks ago. And the, the answer was clear that it was Nikki Haley. So you talk about electability, and that's important. But uh, the thing that I've always loved about Americans for Prosperity Action is that they endorse candidates who are principled. Mm -hmm. Now, not every candidate is going to be perfect. There are no perfect candidates. So that's kind of why we do what we do, right? Actually, I, <laughs> if you can find a perfect candidate, Jeff, I will, we make it, I'll give you a hundred bucks. Okay. I have well, never, my, yeah, there's always somebody that we disagree that's right. with. Yeah, That's right. And that's okay. Like, honestly, I don't think we want a person that, just listens to everything we say and don't make up their own right, mind, right? right? We want somebody who we can challenge and maybe they challenge us on some sure. of our ideas. That's right? a great point. And uh, so we don't want that person that that is just going to do everything we say. We want a leader mm -hmm. who's going to lead. What are some of the things and the policy solutions that Nikki Haley has that you think really are going to make a difference for America? Well, if our number one issue is the economy and inflation, there are a couple of things that she's laid out in her agenda looking forward that I think are really important. First is she's committed to tackling the national debt. She said, look, I'm going to challenge the House of Representatives and the United States Senate to present a budget that that's balanced. I'm going to veto any spending bills that don't take us back at least to pre-COVID levels. Right. That's a great start to curbing the, the trajectory of spending that we're on in this country. But she's also said, look, I want to simplify the tax code. And we you know, we know simplifying the tax code means by definition fewer carve-outs for special interests and a fairer tax code for the American worker. We've heard over the past couple of of election cycles talking to folks, they use language like they feel the system is rigged against them. Some in some respects they're not wrong. And so simplifying the tax code is a would be a huge step forward to unrigging the system and giving people the, the freedom and opportunity to pursue the American dream. And then the last thing, you know, I, I got to give her credit for this. Like I said, been in, in Washington, D.C. for quite some time. People have been talking about the problems with the national debt. They've also been talking about the unsustainability of our entitlement programs. And they're making promises that aren't going to be kept for my generation, future generations, unless we do something about it. It's a politically fraught issue which is goes back to the incentives in politics or, you know, sometimes bad policy is good politics for people. But she has the courage to say, guys, no more kicking the can down the road. We've got to talk about this and we've got to solve it. Yeah. You know, to me, I, you look at and we talked about this, but the, the politics and where America is right now with just kind of these very bad government policies. You know, inflation is driven by government spending. That's what causes yep. inflation. Yep. And, you know, from covid uh, through and and some of that spending was Donald Trump's spending, right? Yeah. And 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 from that, then it got you know put on acceleration through the Biden years. That's what's caused this problem. And Americans, I think, are are longing for a solution to that. And again, to me, it just makes sense to put your best foot forward, put the candidate forward that the most uh, people will look at and say that is someone that I can vote for. Now they have to be principled. And I think that's what we're talking about here. Nikki Haley is principled. We, and we're going to get into some of the things. There will be some people who say, hey, you know, I don't agree with Nikki Haley on this. I don't agree with her on that. And, yeah. and we'll talk about that here yeah. in just a minute. But for the for, on the vast majority of issues, she's pretty principled on those issues. Yes, she's she is. I would put it like this. She has principled policy ideas and she's willing to have the to 
courageously talk about them. I mean, even even the 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 government spending and debt piece, she's saying a pox on both your houses, political parties. You've both been spending mm-hmm. like drunken sailors. And she's saying that when she's in a, a partisan primary. Yeah. So that takes courage. Yeah. And she's right. I yeah. mean, that has been a problem Absolutely. for both political parties. Um, so let's talk about the elephant in the room. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that elephant is Donald Trump. There's yep. lots of folks who would say, in fact, there are some political parties, some Republican parties across states in America who are saying, nope, it's over. We just want to endorse uh, Donald Trump as the nominee, Mm -hmm. which I think is interesting since that short circuits the actual citizens, (laughs) you know, and the rank and file folks. That's why we have primaries. It's called choices. We shouldn't cancel elections Mm -hmm. to do that. what what about that? Can does he have that nomination wrapped up in the minds of of folks? What what do you think? Can can Donald Trump be beat? I think so. And let me give you two data points that support that. First, you mentioned that we've been out. AFP went out talked to millions and millions of voters, especially in the early presidential primary states. AFP Action acquired that data and analyzed it. So a couple of things that I can share with you. First. 60 percent, 6-0, 60% of Republican primary voters would prefer a new nominee other than Donald Trump. So you start at a 60% level. And again, this is on average across the early states. So that in and of itself shows that there's a tremendous appetite for a new leader. Second data point that came out of that analysis is that even amongst the folks who show up at the national polls and say, yeah, I, I'm supporting Donald Trump. The, uh, if you're a national pollster, you mark that down, you move on to your next phone call, and that gets reflected in the top-line polling numbers. When you're a grassroots organization, that's not the only question you ask somebody at the door or on the phone, right? You have a longer conversation. You really get to know them. You want to listen to them. And so what we learned very quickly was that up to two-thirds of current Trump supporters are soft in their support of him. And by that, I mean, they say that they're supporting him right now because they supported him in the past. There were things about his first presidency that they liked, but they admit they are concerned that he is not the right leader for the future. They're concerned that uh, he's going to be too bogged down by all the baggage that he's going to bring to a second administration. They're concerned that he might not win, that they think Biden and is by far the weakest Democratic nominee that the Democrats could put up, but they're worried that Trump is at best a coin flip at this point to beat him. Whereas you look at alternatives like like a Nikki Haley, the Wall Street Journal poll that just came out shows her beating Biden by 17 points, which is unheard of. We haven't seen that in our internal numbers. We've seen it more like you know 10 to 11 points, but still, it's not a coin flip. It's right. She's a much stronger general election candidate, and they know that. And so they're struggling with their affection for the former president, but their desire to win again. They're mm-hmm. sick and tired of losing. Yeah. And so those two numbers, 60% of the Republican primary electorate want somebody new from the jump. And then even the Trump supporters, two thirds of them are concerned that he's not the best candidate. Right. What about some of these uh these really important states, Wisconsin, you know, people look at polling and it's kind of a national poll, right? But, but let's break it down to Wisconsin and Michigan and Ohio and, you know, some of these battleground states. Um, Have you seen polling that shows 
let's say Nikki Haley versus Biden or Trump versus Biden in those states? Yes. So a lot is being made of these national polls. Right. We don't elect presidents via national poll. We do not. Right. And so if you look at the states that Trump won in 2016, but then lost in 2020, and I would argue has done nothing since 2020 to win back the voters that he turned off, um, they all, he, he still loses all of those states, Michigan, Pennsylvania, Nevada, Arizona. Um, Nikki Haley blows Joe Biden out of the water in those states. Yeah. Well, and we're on the cusp, right? America's on the cusp in 2024, November of 2024. It will make a decision mm-hmm. that will mean we either stay on the policies we're on, mm-hmm. that we know are destructive, that most every American is feeling the pain of that, or they're going to take a new course. And again, should we not put our best candidate forward? Should we not put the person forward who who has the best chance of winning in those in those critical battleground states, as you said, we don't elect a president nationally. To me, that's the crux of this, right? It is. And then you also have to think about the down-ballot impact of having a candidate at the top of the ticket who can uh, provide the traditional positive coattails that often happen in a presidential year. We have not seen that over the last couple of cycles. So that's part of the reason why we've been uh, even good candidates have been losing races because they've had to outperform the top of the ticket or the perceived top of the of the ticket by double digits. If we have a candidate like Nikki Haley as the Republican nominee, you can look at the Senate map, you can look at the House map and see a lot more opportunity to elect really strong leaders. It's what I love, again, about Americans for Prosperity Action is they're looking for electability, but they will not sacrifice principle. And that's what's got to be understood here. It'd be one thing if this was like, well, we just think they're the most electable, but that's not what's happening here. I mean, you really did look at Nikki Haley, where she stands on those issues. Mm -hmm. And, And by the way, when Nikki Haley becomes president of the United States, um, we'd be there to hold her accountable, yeah. right? To the, yeah. on those issues too. Yeah. All of the work that we've done to yeah. build a strong coalition, a grassroots a powerhouse that fights for these issues, champions in Congress who are going to hold the line on these issues. All of that is part of this. But, you know, we, we talked about it earlier that n- we're never going to agree with any candidate on every single thing. Yeah. What we look for is somebody who we agree with more often than we disagree with so that we know that by working on their behalf, we are going to maximize the gains towards these policy coalitions that we need to build and strengthen so we can actually tackle these big issues. Yeah. Let's talk about, because I want to address it, right? Let's talk about, there are a couple of things that have come up since the AFP action endorsement of Nikki Haley, mm-hmm. where there's, well, she's not aligned with us on this or that. You know, one of the things that I hear a lot is the anonymous speech issue mm-hmm. um, and whether or not people can, can post anonymously on the internet. Mm-hmm. Free speech is something we don't, uh, we don't compromise on. We right. believe in free speech. Right. And it doesn't matter uh, whether you're on the left or the right. Americans have the right to free speech yes. because of the First Amendment. Um, how would we how would you answer that when people say, well, she's not aligned on anonymous speech? Well, I have a little bit of a different take on this. It <laughs> okay. might surprise you. So she said something in the middle of November that was absolutely bad policy. And I'm not excusing it at all. Mm-hmm. But look at what happened afterwards. There was an uproar, universal, across the political spectrum saying, 
that's a bad idea. That goes against anonymous speech. Our founding fathers benefited from this. Like, this, this is a bad idea. What did she have to do after that? She had to correct the record. She, she put out a strong statement saying um, that she would defend anonymous speech to the hilt in writing. We have that now. We can hold her accountable for that. And I think that that example actually shows the power of having built a, a tremendous following that will, it, you know, through our policy work on First Amendment issues, that was able to stand up in that moment and say, this is a bad idea. And we're we're going to we're going to publicly question you for it. And now she's on record actually defending the First Amendment and anonymous speech online. And we can hold her accountable to that. Right. Uh, the other the other issue that I've heard is a foreign policy. Well, she's too big of a hawk, wants to get involved in wars all over the place. How, how would you answer that? I mean, this is a great example of just we're going to agree to disagree on a lot of the elements of foreign policy. When we talk about foreign policy, though, we look at it as a portfolio. And so it's not just about war. It's also about having a really strong military that can prevent wars before they even happen. Part of that is treating our men and women in uniform who have served with the with the benefits that we promised them in the first place. So we work on things like VA health should be a strong policy uh, leader and partner on some of those issues. So when you look across the entire portfolio, there are some issues where we actually will agree with her and be able to work with her. We're just going to this is just an area where we're going to agree to disagree. But I will say similar to the free speech example. Look at what's been happening in Congress with a significant policy coalition, including members of leadership. So it's not just, you know, a handful of rabble rousers in the back row of the House chamber. There is a significant coalition that agrees with our position on foreign policy, this realism and restraint. Mm -hmm. And so they've been standing strong against intervention in Ukraine and additional funding for Ukraine and things like that. So there's there's a lot to work with. We've we've been working on this issue. Our, our partners at Concerned Veterans for America have been working on this issue for a very long time. And there's a lot of of um, support for our policy position that we'll be able to leverage with Nikki Haley in the White House. Yeah, we live in the real world. Right. And exactly. there I look at all the candidates and you can go back to the beginning when there were however many Republican uh, candidates that were running up on that Republican debate stage, how many of those, was there one that we would agree with 100%? There isn't. No. I mean, it wouldn't matter who AFP Action at the end of the day endorsed. That's right. Th there would have been policy disagreements, that's correct? Right. That's right. And that's the beauty of our democracy, right? I think what we try to do and what, frankly, we hear from the American people is that disagreements are okay, but let's disagree without being disagreeable about it. Right. And let's actually have a robust policy debate and discussion as opposed to the name calling and the attacks. And that's the kind of more productive public policy place that we're trying to get to. It doesn't have to be uniform agreement. We actually believe that a diversity of opinions actually makes us stronger yeah. as a country. Yeah. So let's lean into that, but let's work together. I find it interesting that there would be people, and for the most part, I think the endorsement of AFP action has been... Um, lauded and cheered. There have been a few people who say, oh, I, I didn't like that because I don't agree 100%. And I find it interesting that an organization like Americans for Prosperity or Americans for Prosperity Action that's dedicated to individualism, mm -hmm. right? And to being able to, for all of us to express our views and to have disagreements would want us to endorse someone who we lock 
stock and barrel agree with on every issue. That's that's just crazy to me to think that we would even we, we would want someone who's just going to agree with everything that we say. We want that disagreement. Right. Well, and if that's the standard, we wouldn't do politics. <laughs> right. right. There's nobody. We'd be, a think, that we'd be a think tank. Yeah. You know, I uh, the, I liken it to like the, the single issue voter. Right. There are people out there who are single, who are single issue voters. And that's great. And so they're going to choose to vote for somebody on a binary choice on that issue and then just accept that they might disagree with that person across a number of other issues. We are a multi-issue organization. We don't have a litmus test. We can't be a single issue voter basically as an organization. Right. right. So we pick candidates that are very aligned and then we also look at electability, mm -hmm. right? And make sure that that they're still, we also look at civility, mm -hmm. things like that as well. well that's right? a big part of electability. If, yeah. if, if the American People are getting turned off by politics right. today. They want people who are going to be serious legislators, who aren't just going to be looking for those sort of viral moments and, and who could be the most um, brash out there. They want people who are actually going to roll up their sleeves and solve problems. And so that's a big part of it as well. So Iowa and New Hampshire are just around the corner. For mm -hmm. those who maybe just are listening to us here, Iowa is the first caucus uh, in the country. They're the first to give their opinion. Then mm -hmm. they're followed by the first primary in the nation, mm -hmm. uh, New Hampshire, yeah. uh, then followed by South Carolina. So oftentimes the winner of Iowa is not the winner in New Hampshire. That's right. So walk us through that. How does how does a path for Nikki Haley exist in, in your mind through Iowa, New Hampshire, and then, of course, your home state of South Carolina. Yeah, you are absolutely right. Iowa and New Hampshire are two very different electorates. <laughs> and so they, they don't usually go the same way. Uh, the way that we're thinking about it is really the first three states. So Iowa, New Hampshire, South Carolina, and then the Super Tuesday states. And if you go back to some of the numbers that I shared earlier, that, is, that you know 60% of the Republican primary electorate would prefer somebody new, those first three states need to show them that that's actually possible. And so... In a place like Iowa, Nikki Haley has surged to about tied with Governor DeSantis. Um, and whichever one of them, uh, you know, can show real strength against the, the pres against President Trump in that state is one aspect. But, you know, I think the pressure in a place like Iowa is really on Governor DeSantis, actually, because he has staked his entire campaign basically on winning Iowa. If he comes in a very distant second, or even if Haley beats him in his second and he's in third place, I don't know what his campaign is going to do from there. In New Hampshire, that is where she's actually the strongest. So she surged from 6% in early August to 25% by mid-November. And that is, that's huge growth. DeSantis has gone down. He's now in the, in the single digits. So is Chris Christie. Um, so is Vivek Ramaswamy. So really, this is, this is a race between... Trump and Haley in New Hampshire. And if she can come in a very, very strong second right behind Trump or even win New Hampshire, then she's got a couple of weeks. She goes to her home state in South Carolina where we need to see her grow her support there and, and make that competitive. But the looking at all three of those states together, the goal is that they provide a launch pad basically into the Super Tuesday states so that the voters in the Super Tuesday states see Trump and Haley as a real primary, and they can make their choice on whether they are going to support a new leader who can bring us forward, which they have been telling us they're open to do. They just need to see that it's viable. And that is what those early states need to demonstrate 
to those voters in the Super Tuesday states. Yeah. Um, I think that this was a very courageous decision on the part of Americans for Prosperity Action. And I'll say in two stages. First, the decision, I think it was maybe February or March of 2023, to actually get involved mm -hmm. here. Because everybody else just kind of, most everybody else just sat and said, nope, we're not going to, it's fraught with too much danger. Mm -hmm. uh, Americans for Prosperity Action. Uh, at the time, decided to go out and do uh, gather some data and talk with with citizens. Uh, but then, this decision by Americans for Prosperity Action to get involved is a is a courageous one. I think it took courage on the part of the leadership of the organization, including you, uh, to do that. Talk about the the decision and how uh, how you made the calculation and why you decided to get involved. Well, we had to do something. Right. right. I mean, the, that first decision was looking at the disappointment of 2022, the policy trajectory that we're on as a country, recognizing that we're continuing to elect people with radical policy ideas. We said we've got to work to nominate a better candidate so that we can break this cycle. And leading up to then the decision here in November that AFP Action made, like like we were talking about earlier, we were looking for these two things. Can somebody lead the country forward and can they win? And it was clear that there were a number of candidates who could lead the country forward. But in about mid-November, it was clear that Nikki Haley was the one who could actually win. It was because that kind of momentum that I just talked about in New Hampshire, we were seeing that sustained, not just in the polling numbers, but also in the conversations that we were having with voters at the door. We also saw that voters, especially in Iowa, New Hampshire, I mean, places you open your mailbox, all this vote election mail falls out of it. They were just starting to pay attention. So they hadn't made up their minds. We were in this sweet moment where we could make an endorsement and immediately go to start talking to voters just as they were starting to really say, OK, it's time for me to buckle down and start really thinking about who I'm going to who I'm going to vote for. So we had this moment in time where we knew that we could make a significant difference. Um, Haley needed a ground game. That's what we bring to bear. And so there was that sort of, you know, we talk about division of labor by comparative advantage in our culture a lot, but we had something that could be very, very valuable to her campaign. We knew that we could make a difference in it. And and the argument that we were hearing or the concerns that we were hearing, I should say, from voters about beating Biden and not being not being able to handle another four years of his policies, that you were seeing all of these other polls show that Haley was in the best position to do that. And so we knew that we could make a really strong argument back to them on the thing that they were most concerned about, the voters. The last thing that I will say that was might cut against a little bit of conventional wisdom out there, but we were seeing it in the numbers that were coming back and the, that AFP Action was, was analyzing. Haley actually is in a really strong position to coalesce more voters from different parts of the Republican base behind her. So uh, voters who were... Uh, Thinking about supporting a DeSantis or a Trump have a pretty high opinion of her, actually. The reverse is not true. And so when you think about needing to really consolidate voters behind a single alternative to Trump so we don't end up in a 2016 where he can you know, win with a plurality again, we had to consider who has the best ability to get those voters behind him or her. And the answer was Nikki Haley. Yeah. Well, I again, I think it, it took courage to do it from the very beginning, and I, I applaud that courage uh, to do it. And there's lots of work to be done. So there is, yeah, gotta get well, back to it. I appreciate you joining me. Do you think you're going to break your own record uh, with the number of downloads and views with this episode? 
uh, over the last one? I think you are. Okay. Well, let's see what happens then. Yeah. I have to ask my mom to listen to it a whole bunch. <laughs> <laughs> it only counts once. I didn't know this. It only counts one time because it goes off the IP address. Okay. So you're going to have to ask more than your mother to, or, to watch. I guess I will. <laughs> She'll please, get one though. <laughs> please watch. <laughs> Thanks, Emily, for joining us. <laughs> Thank you so much for having me. Well, as I said, it takes a lot of courage for Americans for Prosperity Action to have made this endorsement. And it speaks to how important this election really is about the future of our country and the direction. It's headed in a terrible direction right now. Every single day, we see Americans paying a terrible price with inflation, with the price of goods and services and the price of gas and so many other things that uh, are, are going wrong in America. And we have a chance in 2024 to correct that and to make a difference. It is imperative that America puts its best candidate forward to take on uh, Joe Biden and this reckless agenda that he has going. And so I applaud the courage of Americans for Prosperity Action in making this endorsement. And I applaud the courage of Emily Seidel for, for uh, leading this organization to that decision as well as the senior advisor to Americans for Prosperity Action. Thanks for being with us. Thanks for joining us. Go out there, defend liberty and freedom. And this is about the best opportunity you will have to defend liberty and freedom. Thank you for joining us. Thank you for listening to American Potential. You may listen to more stories from Americans working every day to expand freedom and opportunity in their communities by visiting AmericanPotential.com.